What's going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Grant, a.k.a. Boy Apocalypse, and Mark, a.k.a. Boy Untitled, of their new duo called Boy 2K over Zoom video. Grant was born and raised in Pasadena in L.A. and talks about how he got into music. And Mark was born and raised in Philadelphia, and we hear about his music journey as well. They talk about how they first met, deciding to start Boy 2K, the first covers they did kind of as a duo. And they talk a lot about their new EP, which was started in Los Angeles, but the two have moved since to Mexico City. And that's where the EP was really finished up. So they talk about that as well. You can watch our interview with Boy 2K on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Boy 2K. Sweet. Uh, so I'm Adam, and this is about both of you and your journey in music, and we'll talk about the EP. Awesome. Thank you. Sweet. Um, so I, I guess uh, whoever wants to start it off, born and raised, or did you guys know each other growing up? Or uh, No, we didn't. Um, Grant, I, so hi, I'm Mark, Boy Untitled. Boy Apocalypse. And together we are Boy 2K. I love it. But no, Grant and I actually met um, pre-pandemic. It was like 2019. We met right before the pandemic at my first show as my artist project. And it was very, it was very beautiful coincidence. And also just like a very weird thing to look back on considering what's happened since. Like, I, my name is Boy Apocalypse. So like I was doing this kind of apocalyptic um, show format, like, and I was literally wearing a mask in 2019. Um, oh, interesting. You're ahead of the I was like, this is no longer <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> and my, at that time he, he was opening for a friend of mine and I saw him perform live and was just like, I want to, I want to hang out with this guy. I want to write with him. And just separately of ever knowing each other, his solo project was Boy Apocalypse, and my solo project was called Boy Two. Uh, it was called Boy Untitled. Titled, yeah, yeah. So there was like a, so there was just like a, yeah, a little happy. It's definitely this moment where we were both like, wow, you, like there's something going on here where we're both on the same page about this, yeah. and it was it was cool to meet kind of a fellow traveler, I guess. Yeah. To answer your question, though, I'm from Los Angeles. I'm from Philadelphia. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, well, Grant, so you're from LA, is that what you said? Yeah, Originally? I'm from Pasadena. Okay. Oh, very cool. I'm from San Diego, but I moved to Nashville. Oh my God, I lived in San Diego ago. too. I lived in Cardiff. I am a SoCal boy, born and raised. Oh, I, amazing. I lived there for 17 years, so I, I consider myself more SoCal than, than East Coast at this point. You've lived in LA or you lived in San Diego as well? I lived in LA for- Oh, okay. Years, yeah. Very cool. So, uh, well, growing up in Pasadena, I mean, being in, obviously in, in LA, what was that like? Hmm. It's, it's funny because you only get one childhood, so you can't really anything. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> Great point. <laughs> and Pasadena is, um, Pasadena is interesting because like if you, you're from San Diego, I don't know if you've spent time in LA, but like it's. Oh yeah, plenty. Yeah. I'm just for the list, the, the listener that's not from Southern California. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, Pasadena is funny, right? Because it's kind of the backdrop of the film industry. It's like people call it the backyard of the film mm-hmm. industry. So like growing up, you know, I, I didn't think anything of it. Obviously, it just felt like small town America to me. And it really does have that feel to it. But then, you know, my mom would be like, hey, remember that movie, Father of the Bride? Yeah, that's the house. Like, and, you know, my my friend's parents, like, some of them were like actors. Some of them were like, you know, a part of the like LA, um, you know, high. Like, yeah, my dad, uh, my best friend's dad was like um, Dr. Drew. Uh, and like he, no way. Child, actually, um, and so it was, it's it, it interesting because like it didn't feel like anything to me, um, except you know my regular growing experience. But you know, looking back on it and now working in music, it um, was pretty fortuitous to grow up there. Sure. Wow. You said your best friend's dad's Dr. Drew. Yeah. Growing up, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So like we would, I mean, 
I don't even think I really knew who Dr. Drew was before I like went to their house and I was like, damn, this sounds crazy. <laughs> and and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it was a lot of that. Like, um, I, I guess you would just like, I remember one of the, one of the weirder things was like, uh, but this one I did know was Haley Joel Osment went to like our rival high school and uh, he was like the kid from um, Sixth Sense. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of cool. So it was just like weird stuff like that. I, um, my, I played travel basketball growing up and Miley Cyrus's brother was on uh, my brother's team. And so Miley and I like sat together for a basketball. Um, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, she went to my like, son's. I moved to, since I moved to Nashville, she grew up in Thompson station where I live and her, uh, my younger son goes to the same elementary school that she went, went to. It's why oh. well, yeah, her dad still lives down here and he has this huge property and like a big farm and everything else. I don't know them personally well. We can talk about this. Mark actually knows probably uh, decently well, but like I would say that their family, this is Hannah Montana era too. You know, it was like, I, I didn't, I was pretty starstruck, but they were very cool. And so I have nothing but good things to say. Probably the nicest. Yeah. I've ever met. Yeah. I mean, I, I was the associate creator for um, the associate creative director for Miley Cyrus's bangers tour back in 2013. And so I got to like, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Do you know, um, Hell's his name? He plays drum. Stacy. Oh my God, Stacy. Yeah, icon, such a sweetheart. Yeah, I. So I was uh, Diane Martell, um, who's you know a really big, um, storied music video director mm-hmm. from the scene, and I was her assistant at the time. And we listened to that album, and I literally had the opportunity to like help form, like, and create that tour from the ground up. And to me, creatively, one of her most interesting moments for sure. But just the amount of the amount of people like at the top of their game that I got to interface with. I mean, Stacy's incredible, and then like yeah. Rich, who did the choreography, also incredible. As Devlin, who did who did the stage design, she's like the most preeminent stage designer, set designer, production designer in the world right now. It's just like just the things that were happening, and yeah, and I got to hang out a lot with Miley um, on the road. A lot of times, our hotel room is next to each other, and we get to like kiki afterwards and. I honestly like I I can't even think of a bad thing to say about her, especially in that moment when everyone thought she's like she's gone off the rails, she's sticking her tongue out. She's just becoming she's a, a badass, yeah, yeah, yeah become, becoming a woman and also giving herself space and permission to be a kid, and also very much at the helm of like her creative direction, like the consummate like musician. And just like a fun person. She, yeah, she's incredible. It's cool hearing Mark talk about it because like from the outside, obviously I experienced that as like an 18 or 19 year old and was like, this is the coolest shit ever. But it felt very chaotic and hearing about it from the interior, it was very designed. Like, you know, it was like super smart. Super designed. And also just that experience, like because I was kind of seeing how the music industry operates at like at the top level. And then what does it mean to take a piece of music and tessellate it out through like a visual experience, an interactive experience, a, like a huge, massive stage, the visuals, the props that honestly, like one of the most formative creative experiences in my life that now informs a lot what yeah. we do. And it inspired a lot of my outside of music professional career. I, you know, I produce uh, motion design events, things like that. And so kind of having all those pieces now when we're like creating our stage shows and stuff like that. It's really fun to, that stuff still ripples through my inspiration. Mark sure. always thinks big, you know, always bigger than me. And I, and I really like it. It's, it's, it's inspiring. You know, he's, he's worked at the top of the game. And so that's, that's always where his mind goes. And it's cool. I love thinking, I love looking at like a, something that we do like when we're in the studio and writing. And then I know, I know we're onto something when I start seeing the music video play in my head and then I can like zoom out. I'm like, I know exactly what this is going to look like on stage. So <laughs> that's really awesome. Yeah. I, I was always a fan of, of, I was too old for Hannah Montana, but, um, I, when she came out, I think it was the VMAs or Grammys or and she was smoking a blunt. I was like, okay, this, this girl, I was, I was, I was there in the background. So. <laughs> yeah. I was like, damn. Okay. I like her. And then you watch her just how she interacts with fans and stuff. There's like an Instagram reel or something I saw her. She comes out and like, you know, there's crowds of people on the side, like screaming at her. She just grabs some dude's phone, like sticks her tongue out, takes a selfie, like kisses some dude on the cheek and then just keeps going. Like, she's just so like such a pro like bam bam bam. Okay. Now I'm just yeah. going to keep going, like interact with my fans, like do some cool shit for like two seconds. 
you change like two people's lives literally by just taking a phone selfie and <laughs> pecking some kid on the, their cheek and just moving forward with her, you know, going on with her day. And I was just like, damn, like that's like a true legend right there. Yeah, <laughs> um, but okay. So you're from Philadelphia, Mark. Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm from, yeah, I grew up in Philly. Um, and then as soon as I graduated high school, I made my way out to LA and I, you know, lived and worked there for 17 years. Um, I didn't start music out there until I was 30. I'm 37 now. Okay. Uh, was, but I kind of grew up as an adult in the music video and commercial production world. That's like where what I was doing professionally. So I was actually working on, I mean, when I kind of got to LA, it was 2008 is when I moved there permanently. I was living there part-time in 2005. And that was really peak, like Cobra Snake, Paris Hilton, oh, yeah. Hilton like that kind of, that, the what what the fuck Ross Hilton what is it called the like gossipy or no oh, the zone the zone in LA that his blog is named after what am I the, what's it what is Paris? anyway whatever it doesn't matter just like the the like peak kind of like post Y2K club going out scene and yeah, yeah, yeah. pop culture <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah pop culture I don't know yeah he was yeah, I don't I mean, know if he still does he his website was massive back you know around it's like that a forty time. mile zone or what is it? What oh is it? TMZ what that's what that's what oh called. yeah okay yeah, it's, that's the something miles on anyway it doesn't matter so <laughs> you actually know that until right now yeah it just okay. it basically means like what, what la proper is they the celebrity zone um, right but yeah when i started like working out there it was like peak music video era we're talking like one two million dollar job so i was you know and i was always in charge of taking care of the celebrity like the, people were like people like you just take care of them, do whatever they need, or their handler. If I was, you know, on set with Britney Spears a few times, Katy Perry, the Pussycat Dolls, Nicki Minaj, like that was, that's how I grew up professionally. And I really got to see the music industry from that perspective. I guess I, I never really like take stock of that. That's kind of wild, but um, you know, it, LA is interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to see it from like the, the height of everybody, right? I mean, you, you almost got thrown into the biggest artist on the planet it wasn't like yeah i mean britney spears all those artists that you just named katie i mean they're the the larger than life yeah I mean, yeah and you know i i will say my my favorite celebrity that i worked with a few times is little john nicest person i've ever met and like <laughs> oh that's told, awesome i've had him i've like, had a chance to meet him once say it again i've actually i've had a chance to meet him once he was awesome He's so sweet. Like, to, I remember I like opened his trailer. It was like the second or third time I was on set with him. And he just like, before I could say anything, he was like, oh my God, Mark, like guys, it's Mark. Let's do shots. Like so nice. <laughs> Remembered me. The I love that the let's do shots thing is not. No, that's okay. okay. <laughs> like, well, the, the music video we were on was for this smaller girl group called Paradiso Girls Patron. And so like the whole shot is not small to some of us. So we were drinking tequila. Um, and yeah, the, the worst celebrity, Nicki Minaj by far. No. <laughs> that's no, funny. No one, we don't want her coming. You know, she, she can come for me. I'm good. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Um, well, Grant, how did you get into music? I mean, you obviously grew up in LA and around the entertainment industry. Like what drew you to music? Um, my dad's a great musician, and he had a he had a really fun rock band back in the like eighties and nineties called Buck Fifty and the Forty Five. Shut up! Uh, yeah, and he like <laughs> I love. That. I think um, I think in the best way possible. Like he just raised me to believe that I could maybe do this, and if there was any barrier to entry, it was actually myself. Like he he definitely um, like I was. He was putting me in piano lessons before I really wanted to. And I was like, oh, I hate, hate this. And what I realize now is that I hate a routine, but like, I love piano. And um, so I, from a young age, I was like doing it. Um, growing up in LA, it was like, you saw, you, I really did see people like get swooped up into the industry. And I think that because of kind of my mom's side of the family, I was on a very straight track. You know, I was going to college. I um I loved music like I was really the type of person who was like you know <laughs> like framing my um framing my studying in after I would do like musical theater in high school I um I feel like you know I'm gay and I was closeted I think that music was like 
kind of my excuse to go out into my parents' garage and rehearse. And it's sad to say it, but like I would just be singing songs that really meant a lot to me and I would just cry. And it would be like a private experience for me, like have an emotional, um, you know, an emotional understanding of what was going on with me. And so I loved making music. I think up through, I I went to college in um, like the Bay Area. And even through that period, I was kind of like, I'm sure I'm just going to settle down kind of do some sort of, you know, career job. But um, honestly, like the the moment that I was like, I should give this a go was um, my senior year of college. I, um, my, my friend, uh, he's my friend now, but I didn't know him at the time. He is very industrious guy. He was having this like music American Idol competition at Berkeley's campus. I went to Berkeley. Yeah. In- okay. I lived in the Bay Area for like five years. I love it. Um, but yeah, so he he hit me up and he was like, I really like your voice. Would you audition for this show? And it was called Berkeley Star. And I, it was this funny thing where I was like, this is so like 8-bit and low-key. Like, obviously this is whatever. And then he just kept snowballing it into more legitimate things. And he was like, you win a cruise if you win this. And then he was like, Damn. oh, there's actually celebrity judges that we're going to have. And so my celebrity judge panel was this guy named Sam Waters, who was uh, like, he produced for like Destiny's Child. Uh, there was a local um, newswoman from the Bay, and it was Sean Kingston. And Sean Kingston performed. No way. And I do pinpoint this moment where uh, after, I, so I ended up winning, um, and um, Sean Kingston pulled me aside afterwards. He's like, <laughs> you know, you actually should try to do this. Like, you should try to do this. Really? Program. I didn't know yeah. this story. And his, his manager was like, I'm, let's talk. You know, like, I, I think you really got something. And I think it was the first time that, like, frankly, like I had even been around the entertainment industry growing up, but I didn't trust people. I didn't trust that people were honest with me. I didn't actually really think I was that good. And I think that hearing someone who's like actually kind of a musician say, I think you could do this and have no reason to lie to me. I just was like, I can. And so, yeah, the guy who ran that singing competition ended up being kind of my manager for a while. And he helped pay for my first EP that I recorded, which is nowhere to be found. <laughs> you know, we, all have, we all have those. But it, I just kept iterating and I, I kept, I stuck with it. And I, um, yeah, I think I am fortunate to be from Los Angeles because I have had people who've given me opportunities. But frankly, the, it's funny to me that the thing that kind of kicked it off wasn't something, wasn't someone from Los Angeles because I probably right. It's Sean Kingston. That's that's crazy. Who was the who was the who was the uh, news anchor? Do you remember? I just I I, I came from radio. I did radio for seventeen years. That's how the, one of the first like legitimate radio jobs I had was running the board for Loveline. Like I would do the oh my god yeah like I would pull the it was in San Francisco. I worked for a station called Live One Hundred Five, and I would like have to you know run the board up there for for Loveline. Like we played different commercials than K Rock was playing, and so it was. But it was bizarre. Like one time, Mike Catherwood came in, and he was up in the he was up in San Francisco. So he did his. He was there from our studio, and Drew was in L.A. It was just that was like my first. I was like, damn, like this is crazy. Like these guys are like so famous. <laughs> just like radio guys. <laughs> I love that. I love I love the, the Doctor Drew connection. But yeah, I, I I don't remember her name. I'll I'll look her up and tell you afterwards. She was sweet as pie, and um, honestly, like I'll give. Them- best critiques which was funny because like the other two were way more like music industry right but yeah. she, she has opinions today yeah that's, yeah, that's so kind funny of how, that's kind of how it happened that's awesome what about you mark how did you get into music um i got into music super early my after like a failed attempt at like putting me in sports my parents were like i think this one's creative so they <laughs> they really i think this one's creative <laughs> my parents successfully kept me in sports for really long time. Oh, no, I was yeah. like, no. My my first music memory was actually watching the movie. There was this Disney movie called The Bear, and um, my non. I remember sitting on the couch watching it with my nana, and she, and I was like singing along. And so she was the first person to be like, "Mark's musical. We need to do something about that." So they put me in piano lessons when I was four. So I started wow. training to be a concert pianist when I was four, and I was like according to those around me, a prodigy, like I was very good and mm-hmm. I'm not so good anymore, but I, there, that kind of like kickstarted things. And then I really wanted to sing. So at eight or nine, I joined a regional choir called the Philadelphia Boys Choir. And their kind of slogan is the ambassadors of song. And they're pretty, they're pretty famous worldwide because they travel every year. There's a tour. We go somewhere in the world 
and we travel and we connect with people and we create like an, uh, a cultural bridge between the states and wherever it is that we're going. And at the time they were going to pretty controversial places. Like we were one of the only groups in the US to go to Cuba. Um, I didn't, wow. my, my parents didn't let me go on that trip. So, um, but uh, I did go to, the first trip I went on was to Australia. Got to like sign in the Sydney Opera House, like when I was wow. like nine years old. And I was like on the road for three weeks, like by myself. I like, I pissed my pants the first night because I was so scared. And I woke up in like my home stays home and I was like, I went the bed. Like, I was so terrified. So terrified. <laughs> but then like the next year I went to South Africa and like apartheid had just ended, which is crazy to think about. Like oh my we, God. we sang for Nelson Mandela. Like things that like I recall later in my life. And so um, I did that and then, you know. You performed on SNL. That I, was, I thought, one of the coolest things. I performed on SNL. I was uh, one of Pavarotti's backup singers. And <laughs> Vanessa I, What the hell? <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I, that's, so that like gave me the bug. And then that led to, I was like kind of doing regional opera, doing musical theater in college and high school. I went to Emerson College with an acting degree, but the kind of musical theater department like they were like, you should do this more. So, but as soon as I got to LA, I was just like, I was like, I don't want to act. I don't want to like, I just don't want to live a starving artist lifestyle and just being in audition. Like I knew I didn't want to go to New York because I, I saw how the musical theater kids were and how they were like priming them to get ready for the bleakness of living in New York. And yeah, like the Broadway like, scene. Yeah. And I was just like, I, I have like, I, I'm a tourist through and through. So I'm all like creature comforts. I'm like, I, I just, I want to feel good where I'm at and what I'm experiencing. And that did not sound like a tea for me. And then say Mark and I are both musical theater girls who like got to that point where we're like, are we going to do musical theater? And we were like, the lifestyle is not it for us. Like no. it's, it's, it's music is hard, but like, it's really fulfilling for me. I think the, the musical theater lifestyle would be quite brutal. Yeah. And I wonder if it's a, a creative thing too, because you really can't be creative. If you're exactly. that, like, that's, okay, you're going to be in the Lion King and you're going to do it this way and you're going to do this thing. You're going to say these lines and there's no... more like a professional athlete. Like, yeah. Like, like you're training your voice. My, my roommate, who's also an incredible musician, uh, Mariami, and she, her and I were living together. She, at the time, she was writing her first album, and we were both kind of, she was in the musical theater uh, program. And exactly what you're saying, there's kind of this ongoing conversation. Musical theater really, you have to be a certain way. You have to, like, kind of contort your voice into this thing. And I just, I wasn't about it. So I, I really, between like that experience and the whole piano thing growing up became this super high pressure situation for my family. So they're like, you're so good. You can make a lot of money being like one of the best and you're going to take care of us. It just became this like real weird pressure cooker. And so I just threw music away for a long time. And then when I turned 30, I asked that question that I feel like a lot of us ask. It's like, what do I wish I was doing in my life that I'm not? And the answer was music. And so I just, started that journey as a solo artist until I met Grant and here we are. Wow. Okay. So how long were you doing a uh, boy on title for before you guys met? Um, well, I just released a song as boy on title like uh, a couple months ago. So we both still kind of like have our, our things working in the background, but before I met Grant, I had been doing boy on title, I think only for like four years. Yeah. And so I had never written or recorded anything. And so that project really started with me being like, how do I, do this and so i just started writing in my journal every like every day for 30 days and then i turned that into like a book of poetry and then the poetry inspired the music and it just kind of snowballed from there okay and what about um, you uh, uh grant were you doing music for or did you are you said that was your first show is that your first show that yeah so I, in a technical sense it wasn't the first time i performed but i had been I had um, finished college and moved back to LA in 2016. And I kind of cycled through a, a release as myself, as Grant Gensky, which is like my given name. I had a, a kind of like transitional artist project that was like my middle name, which is Eliasson. Um, and so both of these were very much grounded in my like personal experience and like did pretty well with the and I, I was on billboard like had, had a few things that like were cool like i had i had a lot of dance music features that's what i was doing for the first kind of like four years coming back to la i was like 
just trying to get in writer's rooms. And I would just like message dance artists and be like, can I sing on your song? Um, and oh, so you're doing like top line stuff? Yes, yes. I oh, love, cool. he's really good at that. I was like, I loved dance. I loved electronic music so much. Like I grew up in kind of that heyday, um, you know, of like dubstep moving into like big room, like Avicii, like Avicii is still yeah. like one of my favorite artists. Like, and so I think that seeing a couple of, seeing Avicii lives is like one of those things where I was like, I need to sing on a song like this. And so I just would message people and be like, Hey, I'll sing on your song. And so I was doing that for a while. I was doing a lot of like writer's rooms, like getting set up. I really, I really learned the hard way that like your dreams and like what you think is going to happen is maybe like a little bit out of your control. Like I had a couple of really cool pitch projects for Interscope. I was working with a guy named DeVault, who's like a really great producer. I was pitching songs for Griffin, who's like one of my favorite artists. Oh, I've had him on um, my podcast. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a Bay Area so guy. Talented. And so, but I was doing a lot of that, a lot of pitching to dance artists, a lot of top lining for dance artists. And um, I think I, I really just hit a wall where I was like, as the vocalist, I am not in control of this situation. Mm-hmm. Like I am, I am not a DJ. I'm not a producer. I am sending my songs to people and, you know, they're getting so close. Like Interscope's going to release them. That artist gets dropped, <laughs> you know, like, right. and um, you know, it, it really, Mark will tell you, like, we've had a lot of deep conversations about this. I, I had these moments of feeling kind of disrespected even where like crazy stuff would happen, you know, like an artist that I hadn't talked to for two years would like release this song that we had been working on like three years ago. And like my vocal wow. sound terrible. And, you know, it was like, I just began to get the sense that if I didn't do something that was like solidly my own thing, and that was like really specific, um, in kind of electronic music, I was never going to be able to like have a career in it. And so right. that's really where my, I'll, I'll say it like on this podcast, like my, the beginning of Boy Apocalypse, like this idea and the first demos were leftover demos from these sessions with Paul. You know, I was like doing this really hardcore electronic stuff. Devault is kind of like burial, if you're familiar with him. Honestly, Devault is very similar to Fred again. You know, Devault mm-hmm. was doing kind of what Fred again is doing now. Mm-hmm again you know but like very very talented and i, I loved this kind of like break beady really down tempo like it was very sad melancholy music but it was cool it was it's much cooler than anything i've been working on i was i was in love with these demos and when interscope let him go i was like i refuse to believe that these are just going to go in the trash right and so i kind of built my own project from the um, from the rubble and um yeah so like i don't think any of the uh songs I did with him really made it. Um, but it was like this interesting springboard into my own thing. So I've been working in music for a while, but doing my project for a very short time before I met Mark. Like Mark okay. met me. I guess I didn't realize that. I had switched all my usernames a month before I met you. Really? Yeah. So <laughs> it was like really new. And I was performing all new music. None of, nothing that I was performing had been released. But uh, the group had reached out to me that asked me to perform. and. I was like, I'm kind of in the middle of something, you know, I'm doing this new thing. I'm in the middle of something. But, but I would love to perform this if you're fine with me performing all new songs that no one would know. So. Okay. Very, very cool. And I, then when I'm you... Something about you. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, Mark and I are best friends, roommates. We live together. It's very shocking to learn something new. Yeah. <laughs> like, but we don't really ask each other, like, tell me your life story, right. you know? Well, I love that. I've I've had uh, other artists on the podcast that have been in bands for a long time or in there. Like, oh, I didn't know that about you. Like, that's something I think is so cool. I'm like, oh, that's rad that they didn't know yeah. that about one another. Yeah. And now they do. Um, so once this project begins, like, how did it start? Was it, oh, let's do some original songs? I know you've put out some really cool cover songs. Like, how did how did that all begin? Well, we started. So we met. Okay, So we meet each other. Pandemic happens. Um, it's very much a soul gazing moment where like this, this guy gets it. And I don't think I had learned being in a lot of writer's rooms to not rush a good personal relationship into yeah. a professional one. I had like that. <laughs> because sometimes I was like, let's get coffee people right who now. are really cool yeah. are not compatible with you and you don't want to like mess that up. So mm-hmm. I was trepidatious, but we had coffee. We had coffee. I was like, Let, let's get coffee. So we did that week. Um, and then we, we just kind of started getting to know each other. Then the pandemic happened. And so that natural separation occurred. I will say also from afar, I thought Mark was really cool. And up close, I thought Mark was really cool. But like 
I remember just feeling like it, there was just like a sheen to everything he was doing, but he was doing music that was very different than mine. Like I had gone yeah. in this very hard electronic, you know, mode and Mark and was I, doing- I'm like an all, I'm like an all, all uh, world sounds early. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, so at some point in the pandemic when we were more comfortable, like hanging out with each other, um, Greg came over and we did our first writing session. I had this, I had this house in El Sereno. It's like my pandemic house and had this like little concrete basement that I turned into my fort, like what my child's mind would have imagined. Like, you know, no girls allowed. And so (laughs) I had like like my, my little like basement studio and Greg came over and we wrote, it's interesting. The very first thing we wrote was, a song called Freedom Base. And Freedom Base is now the lead single off of this project two and a half years later. No. Um, but we wrote th- that song, the inception of that song was about returning to the dance floor. And this does, and like, if you, if you kind of listen to the lyrics through the lens of like putting yourself in the pandemic and just what the world was presenting to us at the time, just kind of watching systems kind of starting to crack and the fabric of this, story of the world that we all believe in starting to kind of like disintegrate. And, um, you know, the song very much is an homage to that feeling and really a call to arms, just like, are we really going to keep believing like the things that we're being fed? Like, like, can we come back together? Can we be with each other? Can like we be in space and create community together? Because so much of the human experience is about connection and touch and ephemeral things mm-hmm. and so that's that's what that song is there's, there's a lyric right before the kind of chorus that is just are we ever going back and it was like a real question at the at the time it was like mark was one of the few people i was seeing because it was the pandemic and you were really like isolating and mm-hmm. i prioritize music a lot but most of my sessions were virtual and mark was just one of those people where i was like let's do it like i i trust you and we wrote that song yeah, in the midst of crisis, like I had just started this project and I had such high ambitions for it and then everything shut down and it was like, how quickly can you pivot? Like how quickly yeah. can you change? And I'm not rich, like I was self-funding everything and it was like a lot of the things that I had planned were not going to happen. And, you know, the dance floor is very, very sacred space, for me. very important. Like it's, it's where I discovered myself as a musician. It's really why I got into doing music was like yeah. I do top lining for dance artists. And so it was just a really, it was a really sincere moment. Um, musically, it was like, um, it felt very, uh, I don't want to say desperate, but it, it came from a place of like, I need to write this song. Yeah, I need to write this song because it's, it's, if I don't have hope that we can get back, life's going to be really hard for me to live. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of anger and hope in that song. It's like freedom base, a riot on the dance floor, freedom base, screaming that we want more in our hearts, knowing one day we'll all come home. Freedom base and freedom base. And I also like, I think that we were clutching at the beginnings of Boy 2K, which is very whimsical and funny and stupid. And like, even the phrase freedom base, I'm like, that's not a phrase. Like, okay. that's not, not something I was in my mind. I was like, does this make any sense? Like, is anyone else going to get this? Like, and so at the time, it was, I was kind of like, I feel that this is good, but it's kind of silly. And I'm, I'm serious. I'm a serious artist. You know, I'm, well, Apocalypse, I'm like this hardcore electronic acts like this is we're gonna we're gonna shelf that but i think that's also why yeah. we and i promise we'll answer your question but i think that's <laughs> no I think, this is the, i love this <laughs> <laughs> i pro, um i think that's also one of the reasons we connected because so much of my also also my solo project is very serious like my first ep was like my take on the five stages of emotional evolution it was all about uh I, I lost my father in the process of writing that. And so that album came about me processing my dad's death. Oh my and God. then my second album, which I was in the middle of writing and finishing when I met you, what was all about my the disintegration of my marriage. And you know, I released that, I released that EP. And a couple weeks later, my husband and I decided to get divorced. So there was so much heaviness in my music. And I mean, yeah, same. Like my first project was, I would say like a thesis statement on queer guilt. And it was like the, the pain of the closet, just like, it was really angry. It was more angry. People didn't receive it as well as I thought they would, because to me, the anger was so ever present mm. and it was so palpable, but it's not what people perceive mm-hmm. of me. They, they, they're like, you're smiling, you're happy, go lucky. And I think people were very confused about the whole shift, but it was this like howl in the wind that I needed to get out where I was like, I'm, I'm dying, you know, I'm like, I'm losing myself 
I, I, I feel like I came out and something's still broken in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so needless to say, I, I think that th- that's basically the backdrop for us, like meeting, coming together musically. And um, there's always a rebound, right? Right. You got to do something else. <laughs> so, so we did that. And then um, shortly after I went to my, my friends had like a secret camp out at their property up in Northern California. Like, so good. Um, sorry, random thought. And then, um, <laughs> we, the, we had a rave in the woods and this DJ played days go by by dirty Vegas, which like poor memory for me. One of the first times I really remember being like, whoa, dance music, like as a kid. And so my, my friend, you know, we're all like, doing what you do at a rave in the woods. And they were like, you should do a cover of this song. And I was like, <laughs> I totally should. And so Grant had just done a remix for the last song on my e- on that EP I mentioned, uh, Zenith. And I was like, Grant, you, you are the person to produce this. And then I immediately was like, but like, what if we just did a whole EP of Y2K covers. Like we were both coming off these like really heavy things. We really- I, I actually quit music. I'll say that. Like I had, changed all my handles back on social media. I've been like, like, this is so hard. 2020, like the last song that I released is my solo project was about my friend who died, you know? And so it was like, can I really keep doing this? And I quit. And the first performance back that I, that I did as my project when I was like, I am back and I am doing this for real was with Mark. And it was a dance show. It was like an an art rave in the desert. Oh my God. And that's I think called. it's I think it's important to say that because like Mark and I have been doing something very different solo project and it was at that rave that I was like we're doing something really similar because yeah. I promised if I got back into music I'm doing dance music I'm doing something lighter more fun more like joyful and it was like we met at this moment when um, maybe our projects were a little bit different and we came back together at this moment where we were doing something really similar. So then, you know, a couple months later, Mark's asking me to do the covers. We're like, I'm like, let's do more covers. Let's let's do more covers. And I think it really became about embodying and experiencing joy about like, recalling a time, recalling almost a simpler time. Not to say that like, we wish things were the way they were, because I think like so much of our music now really speaks to like, fuck that. Like like, (laughs) the world, the world needs to change. And like, we, we want to be, we want to be vessels of that message in the music that we share, but there is, you know, that nostalgia for like music of that era. So we were thinking people, someone described Boy 2K as like the boy band of the future from the past. And I think that's really what we are. It's like, it's nostalgia, but it's like placing yourself in a period that it feels rose colored and it feels like incredible because it's a memory. It's not real. And it's like, I think we almost think of ourselves as like time travelers. It's like, we're going back to that period and imagining what the future would have been like. Yeah. Um, it's very atemporal, kind of confusing, but it makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I feel like it's kind of the, the core thread of, of Boituke. It's like that mashup of the present, the future, and the past. Mm-hmm. And when we yeah. were like concepting that and, and doing this EP, it was just like, I remember us sitting around my kitchen table and just being like, Okay, but like, what do we call the project? And it's like, well, it's Boy Apocalypse, Boy Untitled, Y2K. There's two boys, Boy 2K, and we were both like, <gasps> we we're like, wait, this this isn't just kind of a one off. It's yeah. not a one off thing. Like this is like we have we have an incredibly special friendship and connection, yeah. and obviously we're vibing on each other's like everything with music. So that's I mean that that was the moment where we were like, oh, and I'd done a lot of session work with some honestly fantastic producers and that was how I learned how to produce was like looking over the shoulder of people like Nico the Kid or like you know I like had a song out with Adventure Club like but I have to say that one of the hard things for me about dance music is it is this kind of prism of white male masculinity and I I had never had a working relationship with someone who I really felt like understood me at all and it was so it was so sad. I actually had like a moment of weeping about that because I was like, why did I let that be the case for so long? But when Mark and I started to work together, I was like, this is incredible. I've never been this close with someone that I've like worked with. I've never had a shared vocabulary with, with someone, you know, I've mm-hmm. actually had dance producers be like, let's, let's write that pronoun to be more generic or, you know, like let's steer away yeah. from, you know, that's a little too 
too much. Too gay. Too gay. Yeah. <laughs> too gay is too much. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it, I mean, that's awesome that you guys have such a, you know, kind of a linear idea of what you want to do as far as the project goes and then kind of coming together in the way that it all did. And you have, you're kind of doing something similar away from each other. And now it's like, okay, like this is, this is rad. It's kind of going to work together. And what you're doing is, is really cool too. I mean, how did you choose those first few covers? Well, the days go by came from that rave. That yeah. Was- but I mean, you did the JLo and the Monifa cover. <laughs> right. I'm just grabbing here. Like, hey, <laughs> um, I, that, and then we made, we made that Spotify playlist and we were just like, one mm. more, what are the, what other songs just like feel iconic? And since it was Y2K, I mean, again, I'm a very, like I said, I'm a very visual person. So mm-hmm. music is almost always associated with some kind of imagery and there is nothing more Y2K than the JLo waiting for tonight music video. Oh it's, yeah. <laughs> her, her with the green lights stepping into the, the new millennia millennium, you know, that, and then why did we pick Monifa? It's just like such a vibey song. It was, it was kind of in the like exploratory process of like, we should do an EP of covers. And that was the third one. I think the first two were very guaranteed. Like honestly, looking back on it, it was, those made a lot of sense. But then Monifa was like, Mark, Mark heard that song and was like, remember this? Like, this is so cute. And I was like, I don't even remember this, but this is a fucking cool song. I mean, it's, sorry, about it's yeah. definitely before your time. Yeah, <laughs> definitely before your time. Not before my time. But anyway, <laughs> I was like, this I say, is not so... before my time either. I'm even a little bit older than you, Mark. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is so cool. And I think, I think sometimes I have a gut instinct if I know how I'll produce something and that's a good sign. And um, we had a lot of corollary songs where we were like, this is, we're going to do J-Lo, but it's as this Ray song. We're going to do Days Go By, but it says this Avicii song. Mm-hmm. And like that Monifa cover, I was like, oh, I have this Jew song that I really would be like a perfect model for this. And yeah. so I think that, that one kind of slotted in at the end. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the the didn't quite make it. It was like Britney Spears' Touch of My Hand. We had some Kylie songs. We had Kylie, uh, Brazilian Girls, yeah, uh, Don't Stop. Don't Stop. Yeah. That was another one that we were like, okay. But yeah, I think we would have done a full album of the covers that we wanted, but we um, we quickly realized when we wanted to be a group that we were like, okay, this covers things. This is like the beginning. A sonic appetizer. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you'd probably, yeah, obviously going into, you didn't want to go and be a cover group, right? Right, you know, it's, yeah. That, but, and that project was great though. It, it really was, honestly, like in retrospect, just such a, fortuitous way to start this project because I mean getting getting a new music project up and running getting on the DSP like uh, just the process of it there's so much learning curve and just like messiness that happens like nothing goes according to plan so that project was very low stakes like you know right now we're in Mexico and we released that project and as it went up on DSPs we realized oh there's licensing things with like mexico brazil and like indian so like your music's not going to appear here and so we're just like cool you know it's <laughs> great the place we're living currently so anyway you're in mexico now mm-hmm. yeah we're in mexico city oh that's awesome yeah we're just yeah we're spending uh we've been spending i've been here for eight months now but yeah we're just like here for the year honestly so the real team is that i recently got out of marriage i decided last year came here, fell in love. I was like, I just, I'm ready for a change. And then um, that was at the same moment when Grant and I were like, let's like, let's do this. And I remember I came home from my first trip here and I was like, I kind of want to move to Mexico. And I think you should move with me and we can like incubate this project. And he had never been here before. And he was like, yeah, okay. I trust you. <laughs> I trust you. Oh, wow. I definitely had this moment where I was like, I know that this is the most important thing in my life. Like this is this the equivalent of like moving for a job. Mark has just gotten out of marriage. I've gotten out of a relationship, and I'm like, we're married now. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, actually married. We're actually yeah. married now, and this is. I believe in this. This has to happen now. It's not something that I'm gonna wait a year for you to come back or a couple years. Like, I'll do it. And also, like, I had been to Mexico a lot, having grown up in California, yeah. but I just never been to the city. And not that far down, just the where TJ Rosarito, like all yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chula Vista. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, I I I trusted him, and um, I also I also was ready for something different. You know, growing up in LA, as I've kind of 
explained like music had been a tough road for me. It had been a lot of loss. I, I think when you find that person, you just make it work. You just make it work. And, yeah. and it, it never felt scary to me. I was always like, I'm excited about this wherever it happens. And Mexico city is amazing. So Online. yeah, it's, it's not been bad, it, but it was a real crazy moment to be like moving, releasing this first EP, learning so much about ourselves as like friends, as like roommates, as a group, releasing music, being like, okay, our music isn't getting released in Mexico. Like that is something we probably should have seen coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's wild. I didn't know that. Yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah. So with your, I mean, did, did you write this whole EP before you guys moved down to Mexico or did uh, some of it? No, we were talking about it before we left. Yeah. We wrote, okay. well, I was, we were writing close friends async. Yeah. And then, um, Freedom Base, again, that, that didn't really come back until we had moved in with each other. We were like, oh, wait, what about that first song we wrote? Yeah. Um, it's really funny. Now we, it's not released yet, correct? Freedom Base? Yes. That's, that it's, coming, it's coming out next week. Yeah. yeah so yeah, the, okay. well, yeah, the EP yeah. comes out on the 23rd, I think. 22nd. Okay. Yeah, 22nd, yeah. I think, I think some of the information, by the way, in that form, I also sent through new press photos that are aligned with the EP. So please use those. Yes, I will um, do that. It's funny when you ask. After this, this call, I'll, I'll I'll share my screen and make sure I have the right ones. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Thanks. <laughs> it's funny that you asked that question, and I was like, "Hmm, when did we write these?" And so much of this EP was written before we moved to Mexico, and then the other two songs were written. Do you think about Mark? The week that we moved here. Are oh, you right? <laughs> Which is like we weren't even in our apartment yet. We were in a temporary month-long place. We just brought. I literally. It's it, like, man, my parents were so like, what are you doing? <laughs> but I like moved all my stuff into a storage unit. I moved here for a month with one suitcase of my clothes and one suitcase of my music equipment. Yeah. And like, we just set up shop in this temporary spot. And the first song that we wrote was with our friend Connor, who we met on the, at the first party that we got, went to in Mexico City. Yeah, the first weekend we went to our, like our first rave here, met him on the dance floor. It's like, we should write together. <laughs> and then we did, and it was a great session. And, this, and that became Fever Pitch. And then the second one we wrote, I have a, my friends um, are called the Corporate Slackers. They like work a lot with like Luis Torres. I, they are like friends with Tiesto. And so they sent me like a beat and they were like, this is really cool. Like, um, we think that you guys would be cool on this. And so we wrote a top line for it, which is something I do a lot. And like, and um, yeah, and then they kind of passed on it. And I was like, this is cool though. Like, let's turn this into our own song. And yeah. so that that became for you, yeah. which is the next song. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And you guys are uh, doing, you're coming back up here, right? Or right around the, the 23rd uh, to do San Francisco. Is, uh, and do you have some other dates in, in store as well? Yeah, so we have, all right, so the EP releases next Thursday. On Friday, we are headlining Electrolux Pride, which is a huge Pride party in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. The following week, we're doing um, more, more like, if you know, you know, kind of party up in Burnville at R3 for Independence Day. And then we come back to Mexico City. We're performing at Bon Bon here in SIC, which are two nightclubs. And then we have a couple others that are not yet like 100 confirmed. So, you know, I'm not going to say those, but sure. Yeah, but we're, yeah, we're excited. Kind of doing a little mini uh, summer tour. USA, yeah. Mexico City tour to promote the, yeah, the tracks. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I appreciate both of you doing this today. Thank you so much. Yeah, of, of course. course. It, it's been really fun. Yeah. Um, I have one more question. I want to know if, uh, if I can get an answer from each of you individually, if you have any advice for aspiring artists. It's like so funny to say that because I'm like, Aspiring artist. <laughs> but um, hmm. I've been thinking about this. There's a TikTok that I saw that's like, you you can't get where you want to go unless you climb Cringe Mountain. <laughs> and it's like, and it's just this kind of metaphor for like, you, like, if you're really an artist, you know that the thing you want is in this valley, but you can't see it. And all you can see is this mountain of cringe, like this, this really difficult experience of putting yourself out there. And like, I would even unpack cringe and say some of it's just like, my family doesn't have any money. I had to fund everything. My first DP was like a Kickstarter. I raised a bunch of money for that. Um, I self-funded everything. It's 
there are days when it feels like you're really begging for anyone to care about what you do. Um, but climb Crunch Mountain, baby. That's my that's my advice to you. Like, it's worth it. There is something on the other side, and I feel like I've had like some decent success. But like beyond success, like is a deep sense of personal fulfillment and an understanding that the things that you feel very deeply are worth sharing. That's been a transformative lesson for me. So yeah, my message to aspiring artists is get your hiking boots on climb Grinch Mountain because it's worth it. Um, but yeah, bring gloves, bring a hat. It's going to be tough. <laughs> bring water, stay hydrated. Yeah. Uh, my, my advice would be, I guess, twofold. One is get in rapport with your intuition and your instincts. I think so often, and we just went through this experience that your intuition and your like gut instinct will be pointing you in a direction. And oftentimes we let other people's opinions or like shoulds or, you know, coulds kind of override that. And at the end of the day, I would say more often than not, you know, that kind of, that diminishes, that diminishes the path ahead of you. And like the, your own belief in yourself, the vision for your project and, you know, it's science, baby. There's more neuro neurological pathways in your stomach than in your brain. Scientists refer to the stomach as the first brain. There's a reason people say, listen to your gut. Um, I would say that. And then also just, just, you know, I, especially as queer men, um, and I think so much of our experience is around this idea of becoming mm -hmm. and like stepping into authenticity, stepping into, um, yeah, just the most authentic versions of ourselves and not just, not just like how do we present ourselves to the world the first step is how how we recognize the truth of who we are inside and so just understanding that there is no destination in the journey of becoming it's always an ongoing evolution your art is an expression of that and it's okay if the vision changes just just go with what feels the most authentic to who you are i think the last thing i say is definitely a boy 2k model which uh motto which is um have a sense of humor, mm -hmm. have a sense of irony. It's not as serious as you think. Nope. And <laughs> do it with your friends. Do it with your friends. It's way more fun that way. Yeah. <laughs>